Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello and welcome to the Football Funalytics podcast in association with 23. This is the show that combines our love of football and very average Sunday league playing experiences with our knowledge of football statistics and data analytics. It's episode 23 and we're talking about football misfits. My name is Mark Carey and joining me as ever is my good friend Ryan Bailey. Ryan, how are things? Good, thank you, Mark. I'm good. How are you? Very well, thank you. Yeah, been a busy week as ever, but uh, always good to, to speak to you on the podcast. Um, have you been busy this week? I have been very busy reading uh, your articles uh, <laughs> at The Athletic. I, your name keeps popping up daily now, which I'm enjoying. I'm getting a bit of a backlog. Um, <laughs> I've also expanded my uh, podcast listening web. Um, and I started listening to the uh, the Harry Redknapp podcast this week. Um, I saw about that, but I haven't actually listened to it yet. Yeah, yeah, no, it was. Do you know what? It was good. It, I mean, we've spoken before about um, Harry Redknapp would be a really funny guest for us because the podcast would last all of five minutes trying to discuss analytics with the guy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> because it, it, you know, it's not that kind of. It's not like listening to Zonal Marking. Put it like that, the Harry Redknapp podcast. <laughs> but what I really liked about it, I've only listened to the first episode uh, where Piers Morgan was the guest. Funnily enough, um, and they were discussing lots of uh, sort of old Arsenal players who, uh, confession, I didn't really know who a lot of them were. Um, it was quite nice to hear sort of about the era before George Graham and the sort of Invincibles time, which is, I realised, is kind of where my knowledge of Arsenal starts. And then it got me thinking, actually, my knowledge of football is a bit shaped like a vase. Like it starts <laughs> off with, um, you know, Pele, George Best, Maradona. And then when it gets to kind of the, you know, uh, 80s, 90s, it starts to spiral out a little bit and get a bit wider. Um, obviously to then the 2000s, which is when I really started loving football to my current knowledge now. So I realised that I don't really know an awful lot about, you know, the 60s and the 70s in football. I'm just trying to imagine the shape of that vase that you're talking about. <laughs> There's not much room for water in the bottom. <laughs> yeah, I was just trying to work it out in my head there. Just painting Maybe quite more a of a flute. There. 
Yeah, maybe. Um, Champagne flute. Yeah, I I know what you, you're saying. I know from speaking to you that that has kind of been your football experience. I I was just brought up on like all of my, my dad's football and being a Liverpool supporter as well. Like the my dad used to go to, to watch Liverpool and all in the 70s and 80s and stuff and all of the stories from all of my family. It's been all around that era. And then obviously going back previously to to the 60s and um you know with my granddad as well and they'll both love that I've kind of name checked them there but I've I, I used to watch videos um as a kid it was actually uh you know Jimmy Greaves yeah a absolute legend in this country um I used to watch a video called uh, six of the best and it was presented by Jimmy Greaves basically right and it was uh it was six of the best games from the decade and I used to watch Liverpool ones so I could I could rattle off like all the Liverpool players and obviously then you, you get to understand the league and stuff and all of their opponents from who they play. Um, just brought up on, yeah, all the 80s, all the 70s, all the, some to some extent the 60s, of just knowing Liverpool players, like everyone throughout the history. So I, I kind of knew that as much, when I was getting into football, as much as kind of the current crop and it's just mm. kind of stuck. Um, so would just, you be able to name like, you know, cup finals from the 70s and all that sort of stuff? Yeah, 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 no, definitely. Wow. Well, That's great. mainly mainly around Liverpool, I guess. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, seventy four against Newcastle, where they won it. But great, would uh, would be one that springs to mind. Um, but yeah, no, I, I just kind of had a real kind of passion for football when I was when I was a kid, and then my dad just kind of channeled that energy by digging out some old videos and just saying like, you know, if you like football now, look back at <laughs> the era when Liverpool were good because at the time Liverpool weren't that great when I was uh, yeah starting to like them. Uh, and just kind of went from there, really. So I'm not saying that I am a stato and know everything about all of the previous eras, but I'm just saying that, like, compared to, to what you're saying, I was kind of brought up on it more so. It just kind of absorbed all of this information of just, yeah, Liverpool players of old and, and players of old. That's class. I mean, that's what I really enjoyed about the Harry Redknapp one is just because they were kind of comparing the modern-day player you know, without sounding too granddaddish about in, you know, back in my day sort of thing, but they were sort of comparing them to times gone by. And it was quite interesting, really, to hear of these players that I'd never heard of. Um, uh, and the sort of the differences within the game, we've spoken before about the pitches that Maradona sort of used to play on and that sort of stuff. Um, yeah, just just a time that I never really registered with, obviously, apart from the, the standout big names. So maybe I'll have to dig out those Jimmy Greaves uh, DVDs that you've got, knock, uh, you know, knocking about somewhere. Not even DVDs, videos. V- videotapes. V- VHS, Ryan. <laughs> well, um, we can do that one day. But I mean, I guess for now, we should probably... Talk, uh, talk about this week's episode, shouldn't we? Yeah, let's get into the meat and bones of the episode. <laughs> meat and bones? Is that right? <laughs> it, was bones? The, it was the crux last week. This week it's the meat and bones. <laughs> right then, so it's our last episode in January and it's also our last opportunity, this year at least, to give a nod to the January transfer window, Ryan. So yes. we've spoken before about how it's important to get player recruitment right. We've spoken across multiple episodes about that. Um, and just to make sure that the you get the right fit for the player. Yes. And we can go into exactly what we mean by that. But I think it's also interesting to kind of, and fun, to look back at where that goes wrong. Um, where the, the, maybe the, the player doesn't actually necessarily make a good fit for the team. And I guess, why might that be? Do you have any idea as to why that might be? Well, I, I just think that over the years, there's just a, a kind of a litter, isn't there, of, of players who have had big expectations because of the name and the sort of reputation that they carry. And then for one reason or another, it hasn't worked out. And I often don't know the reason, but I guess is there a case of teams sometimes been seduced by 
a big name rather than them actually being a good fit for their team. I mean, you know, straight away, I'm thinking of kind of when, I've mentioned it before, but when Di Maria came over to the Premier League, um, you know, the the biggest example of a misfit and a transfer flop, I guess, is Alexis Sanchez. You know, Man United from Arsenal must just essentially went, Alexis Sanchez is a really good player. Let's get him because we need we need good players in our team, and that was an awful fit, wasn't it? So there's kind of just a there's a pattern, isn't there? And and I guess in recent years, like I mentioned before on a, on another podcast, I think that it becomes more obvious and sticks out like a bit of a sore thumb when 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 teams do get it wrong now because there's no room for mistakes and there's no patience for for people sort of to fit in, is there? No, I think that's really well said, and I think this is where data and analytics has minimised those mistakes previously and can continue to to minimize mistakes i think as you're speaking as well i know i do have a liverpool bias but the the andy carroll one is a really good example of that oh huge example yes but it's also a good example of when we've spoken about before about small sample sizes because he was doing really well for the first half of the season he'd showed a bit of promise before then but he basically was just going through a purple patch i think he was top scorer for the premier league in that season Mm. And Liverpool just cherry-picked him and thought he's the best one at the moment and we think that he could be good for us. But the system was just not built for him at all. So I think that's another example where, yes, it's a misfit, but it's also being seduced by um, small sample sizes and someone going through a purple patch where it you know it inflates their, their value and makes them seem better than they are, potentially, where over a long period you get to, to understand maybe what they can offer. Um, it's also weird because Andy Carroll now for years there's still interest whenever Andy Carroll does anything you know when he moved to Newcastle year before last or whenever it was there's still sort of hype around oh Andy Carroll's making another big move is this when he's going to kind of rediscover you know that form but like you say it's kind of only based off one really good season with Newcastle because you know actually I, I mean I used to quite enjoy it when he came on for England as a sort of super sub and bullied people but but you know where does he get that reputation from because essentially he's never really been a consistently good Premier League player has he yeah and that's as we've spoken about before that's the importance of and the value of looking at using analytics because it takes away that bias and that everyone the fan and everyone does still kind of look back at yeah how good he was seven eight years ago when as you say, that's that's not the case anymore. He had injuries, of course. He's had a lot of injuries, but he has been on the decline for a number of years. But this is where you know analytics doesn't have emotions. It doesn't have bias. It just tells you what the sort of what the, car, the hard cold facts are, as I've spoken about before. That, um, that yeah, maybe his, his numbers aren't that good and his output isn't very strong. So yeah, that was just one that you know sprung to mind. But I think it is a, a really valuable point. So generally, why do we find that people are misfits in certain teams? Like, what do you think from an analytical point of view are normally the reasons? Because apart from what I said before about just sometimes being seduced by a big name that don't settle for whatever reason, what what are the kind of reasons that we might find? Yeah, I think, as we spoke about before, I think teams are minimising the the misfits. But it for me, it certainly comes down to to the wider context of not just, yet yeah, a good player you can plonk into any old team, that it needs to be a player who fits within the style of the team and their okay. attributes are maximized within the, yeah, the style of that team. So if we were to think of one example, so let's think kind of from a defensive perspective, you think about the likes of Crystal Palace um, and Burnley who play in a sort of a low block, as we've spoken about yes. before. So basically camp on their own 18 yard box and just yeah mop up any loose balls they've got you know full of blocks tackles and make sure that they are defensively solid first and foremost maybe don't take the onus to to the opposition but they're really good 
and it, the likes of James Tarkovsky and Ben Mee look really strong. You know, loads of aerials, wins, lo- wins good old-fashioned centre-back play. Exactly, your British old-fashioned centre-back. Now they look really good for Burnley because the system allows them to kind of look like that, and it's a defensive style as much yes. as anything. But you put James Tarkovsky or Ben Mee on the halfway line, like Liverpool like to do, or Man City, you know, like to do. Put them on the halfway line and ask them to defend one on one there, where there's basically a whole half for the opposition striker to run into, and they'll struggle a lot more, and they'll maybe yes. be exposed a lot more. Now, and also, they'll be expected to have the ball, I guess, which they might not be as comfortable doing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they're, at the moment they're just to uh, you know get rid of it, clear your lines, and then we build from there, sort of thing. And I've you know read things about that with with James Tarkovsky, for example. So it's it's making sure that you maximize in terms of minimizing the misfits that you maximize the the attributes of the player within the style of your team and I think if you can get that right then there's a certain degree where you can train them in certain things and get them used to this team system but if you've got someone who's completely a fish out of water then don't be surprised if you get a misfit yeah fully and and I guess just because someone isn't a good fit for a certain team doesn't automatically make them a bad player like I know we said about Andy Carroll had a really good purple patch but but Di Maria for instance when he was at Real Madrid was was absolutely top wasn't he and I know he started quite well at Man United but then the fit didn't work for all those sort of reasons and it doesn't mean that he was a bad player it's just that it didn't quite work within that particular system and I guess you know Alexis Sanchez is kind of similar although who knows what happened there but it doesn't necessarily mean they're all of a sudden a bad player just because they don't fit in the certain style they've gone to does it yeah no absolutely and this is where the the wider context is always so so important and you can't just simply if you were to, you know, talking from an analytical perspective, if you were to just choose the five best players who are putting up the best um, attacking metrics or defensive metrics in, you know, in Europe, then that doesn't necessarily, as we keep saying, mean that they are going to be the best fit. And equally, if they have maybe bad metrics one season, that doesn't mean that they're suddenly a bad player. You've got to look at that wider context as to why that might be. And this goes back to our point that we can't just simply use just data on its own. It needs to be combined with the wider context of video analysis and live scouting and watching that player within the context of that system or even that league that they, you know, we spoke about in, in previous weeks about how Kai Havertz and Timo Werner are having a bit of a rough time at the moment. It might be as well as the team system, which is exactly what we're saying, might be the wider point of the, the league style is just that bit more physical, it's a bit more fast and that adds more context to why exactly they might be struggling. And over a longer period, they larger sample size coming back to that point as well that over a longer period um you'll you'll hopefully see that they're going to adapt and do a lot better it's difficult though mark isn't it with uh with the current climate and patience because patience is a dying virtue isn't it you know people don't get time to adapt to new climates and stuff a, a good example is at the moment i think a topical one we do like topical is william uh, you know at arsenal i mean you know I, it hasn't been great has he at all but all of a sudden, William is like the devil and the worst player that's you know played in the Premier League for ages. If you were to read some Arsenal fan reaction, it hasn't been a good fit so far, has it? Apart from an early good start, two assists on his opening debut at newly promoted Fulham, it hasn't been a good start. But I'm not saying that we should clamour on him and sort of say he's the worst player ever. But why might that have been a, a not such a good fit? Yeah, again, probably comes down to, to team style. I think you're right that he did have a really good start and then he's definitely tapered off. I think another bit of the wider context is that he's also ageing. I think he's about 74 now, is he? Something like that. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, So it's also not something where, you know, his, they're very aware of his style 
and what he offers and it's it's not been great that he's not as quick to to maybe adapt because he's he's very set in his ways maybe in his playing style but yeah I mean in terms of his numbers I've actually just dug them up that last season if we just say a few things his play is built upon you know creativity if we were to look at expected assists which we've spoken about before in that what it does is measure the the likelihood that any given pass will lead to a goal assist so a, a proxy of how creative a player is um, and last season his expected assist was 0.26 which essentially means that the value of his passes were leading to a likely assist one every four games yep um, and now it's 0.13 per 90 okay. minutes where if you break that down that's probably that's a sort of an assist value of one one assist every nearly eight games so almost yeah. almost double basically so uh his creativity is certainly dropped off a off a cliff um he's also known for driving with the ball for for Chelsea you know getting down the wing and uh that's kind of dropped off as well again on a per 90 basis he was attempting five and a half dribbles per 90 uh, last season that's now three and a half this so, so two fewer dribbles which across the course of a season I know we're talking about you know only half a season so far but across the course of a season that's that's quite significant just in terms of fewer dribbles so he's he seems to be maybe playing a bit within himself and that might be partly due, due to the um the system that he's playing in partly due to the fact that Arsenal they weren't really progressing through the field quite fast so it wasn't playing to to Willian's strengths of of yeah being more dynamic in attack they were they were creating good quality shots but they were not getting many shots away in the first half of the season they've turned the corner a bit yeah so far um, in the past couple of weeks or past couple of games but yeah he is definitely an example of someone who uh, doesn't seem to be a, a great fit at the moment but again time will tell we can't base it all off half a season but the thing with Willian, as I say, he's about 173 now. That <laughs> gets, he's aged a hundred years yeah, in the course older, of this podcast. Older each time. But the thing <laughs> to to kind of yeah remember is that he hasn't got as much time to be able to, you know, make make it up a little bit because he's he's towards he's in the twilight of his career, so to speak. So that's another reason I think people are impatient because if you're going to sign someone at that age, you want them to make a, an instant impact. They're not a youth player who's going to be there for a number of years love it interesting numbers as always mark where, where did you get that stuff from yeah two guesses for, for where we got it from we got them from the 23 content toolbox i don't know if i told you ryan but we are in association <laughs> with 23 um those numbers were from the football lab in the toolbox uh comparing willian from uh, this season to last season using y scout data of course as we always of course. say um but yeah just an example and a flavor just of how yeah willian's numbers have dropped off a cliff no, it's good. And we'll uh, we'll wish Willian a happy 200th birthday when we get to the end of this podcast. <laughs> Before we move on. <laughs> so I think, yeah, Willian was a good example, Ryan. And I suppose, can we think of any more in the Premier League so far this season? I think we spoke about, actually, a couple, really, um, at Chelsea. Kai Havertz has struggled to make an impression so far Big this one. season. Um, Timo Werner, don't have to mention him again. He's definitely been struggling for form. Um, but yeah, Chelsea are going through a bit of a rough period in settling in their new signings. Don't you agree? Well, I guess it doesn't help that they just have no idea uh, what the what the best shape and the best look of the team is. You know, at the time recording, Lampard's still got his job, but uh, we are hearing reports that that might not be the case for much longer. But, uh, uh, you know, Havertz, from what I saw of him in the Bundesliga, um, played in a very sort of different role to what's on offer in 
in uh, Frank Lampard's team currently, didn't he? Sort of a, a number 10 role that hasn't really been nailed down. Yeah, and in a, in a far more dynamic team in, in Bayer Leverkusen where they were kind of full throttle uh, a lot of the time. And same with Timo Werner where it was just a really high intensity. Um, and again, he was playing... In a, in a different system and it comes back to team style again context is key they're playing in a different style and I think someone said it before that there's only you can only have one ball and there's so many top creative players that Chelsea have that they all want to be able to to impose themselves on the on the game and be able to have these creative passes and they've got to do more off the ball as well um, which is why they're you know struggling at the moment but the team style is is absolutely key to, to maximizing all of their strengths and I think Chelsea have a have a real knack for for killing um, strikers across their <laughs> their recent history. Like honestly, I it, okay, it might be to to a greater or lesser extent, and for different reasons. But if you do look back and think about it, some of the European leading strikers: Hernan Crespo, Andrei Shevchenko, yes, um, Alvaro Morata, Fernando Torres. Um, th- th- there must be others as well, which I'm sure the listeners can can drop us a message and, and let us know. But I just think examples like that, Chelsea just managed to to like mess these players up. But- and the thing is that's not that's not you know, the the styles changed over over years. I mean Crespo was what, two thousand and four or something like that? That was ages 2006, ago. Two thousand and six, I think it was two thousand and six, fine. Two thousand and five actually think because uh he played in the, the Champions League final in 2005 and then but you know that was under Mourinho. So so the, it's not like the, the system hasn't changed at Chelsea for 16 years is it you know that's a that's a recruitment identifying players problem isn't it not necessarily a I mean don't get me wrong they had one of the best strikers ever to grace the Premier League in Drogba so they did something they do some things right we're not sort of completely ripping Chelsea apart but it is interesting that through uh, different trends in different years there, there has been quite a few casualties of the of the Chelsea striking department yeah, and I remember reading something about Fernando Torres on it where he, he went from being the main man at Liverpool where the team was essentially built around him with Gerrard just behind him to support. Whereas when he arrived at Chelsea, he was just one of many superstars a little bit. And yeah. when you have that, where you, especially as a striker, where it's just, yeah, you want to be the main man all the time because you want to be scoring the goals, getting the headlines. And when you come to a team and then you're told, like, you know what, you're just one of many here. There's, there's multiple superstars, then it might, you know, impinge upon their confidence. I'm sure there's other things at play here. But yeah, building the team around them, making sure that that team style fits them, I think is absolutely crucial. And it seems to be a problem they're having at the moment with more more in a creative sense than a striker sense per se. Yeah. Werner's, Werner's definitely been struggling. Absolutely. I mean, incidentally, we had a tweet from uh, Ninad a few weeks back, who is a, uh, a listener and a friend of the podcast. Um, and he interestingly asked, is there a way to look at, say, player X who might not fit into team Y, for instance? You know, is there a way to look at these players who might not fit into certain teams before before that problem's made and you realise afterwards? You know what I mean? Is, is there an analytical way, Mark, that we can kind of do that? Yeah, this this is something which I've been trying to, to get in on the podcast uh, for a number of weeks now. And there's just the opportunity kind of hasn't arisen. But I read something recently from a, a new organisation um, who do some really interesting work. I think it kind of goes to to at least attempt to to try and solve this problem. I think it's a really interesting yeah. question because, and it's the age-old question, isn't it? Because if you do get that right, then you've almost completed recruitment. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Because if you can get, get have a hundred percent success rate of making sure that the, the signings that you make are going to fit, then then there's no uh, there's no doubt or risk there. Um, but the organization that, that I'm referring to is called um, AI Abacus. 
Um, okay. Really, really interesting stuff that they do. And AI standing for artificial intelligence. So using really advanced uh, data science and data analytics um, yep. to create this software to to essentially find the, the perfect match between football players and their clubs. And it bases it on their uh, their style of play and the chemistry. The, one of the key words that they keep saying is, is the chemistry that a player will have with their new teammates. Now, they're obviously going to retain okay. a lot of information back here. And there's not too much detail I can go into because it's their own sort of intellectual property. And we don't know it because that's their product. Um, yeah. But it's it's really interesting concept to actually to, to minimize that risk and to make sure that they actually yeah do have a, do have a good success rate and it was actually set up um, by someone called Ram uh, Milvaganam who uh, created uh, Prozone which is going back twenty years or so probably more now um, but but that was in the Premier League era that was the kind of the start of using digital analysis uh, in cool. sport and it really was it kind of he was the forefather of everything that we see now in terms of yeah event data and uh, tracking data and all these things and using yeah, all yeah. these cameras to to track the players um it blew up in popularity um when steve mclaren actually brought it to from derby county i think he brought it to um sir alex ferguson when he became assistant manager at united yeah, um, yeah. and they really got the edge um i think in the treble winning season um in 1999 so yeah, he's kind of the yeah the pioneer of this this new organisation and this this new system. Fantastic, sounds great. I mean, we can stick the the link into the bio for what we can tell people about that. Then can't we? Let's have a look at. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'll put the the link in. But um, yeah, essentially what they do, yeah, they they go one step further and in terms of that recruitment process and yeah, look at the chemistry between the player and the club. Um, and rather than it be simply on a, a hunch, because yes, you can use the data to to say whether the player profiles well, but. You, you do have to kind of take a bit of a leap of faith to say, are they going to work and have that chemistry, you know, with yeah, the yeah. teammates? But they try as much as they can to to quantify that rather than it being kind of a qualitative assessment. Um, mm. And I think a, a good example of this, uh, which I saw uh, in some of their work recently, is actually with Jack Wilshere, um, okay. who has gone back to Bournemouth um, yep. recently, having been without a club. Um, and they plot it really well. And again, we can put this link in, in the bio, but... Um, they they plot it in terms of a, a kind of on a graph and they look at the the player chemistry rating and yeah. the playing style su- suitability so how much you might your your play might actually be suiting of the team style but then mm-hmm. actually how much you are likely to to yeah, have that good chemistry and that good connection with with the players per se um and the the ideal is a best fit on both playing style and playing chemistry um and what they've found is that T- the teams that profiled well, um, which would suit Jack Wilshere's style and and the players within it, um, was actually Fulham were actually really quite high on that. Um, really, and uh, Toronto FC as well. If you were to make a, a move across the Atlantic, um, across the Atlantic, but yeah, Fulham profiled quite well. And interestingly, Bournemouth because they split it into quadrants of who will be maybe a poor fit, best fit, or maybe yeah, good yeah. in good in team style, not so much in playing chemistry, or good in playing chemistry but not so much in team style. Um, it, on this on this graph that they profile it on, and Bournemouth were actually in the the poorer fit in terms of uh, whether it would be a good fit. So I mean, time will tell. Of course, we hope that Jack Wilshere will stay fit, but it's interesting to say to see that, judging by the the data and the information that they've used here, it, he might not be the best fit for Bournemouth. He still might do well, but there just might have been um, a better fit for him. Be interested to know what the kind of success rate of it is. Do you know what I mean? Like kind of measuring how 
how many players they predict to be correct in terms of a good fit and how it I mean how it kind of works out yeah I'm sure that they they do have a feedback loop of based on what they do say when the players made the move of to to see and to retrain the model because it's a complex yeah. um, artificial intelligence that they're they're using but there's there's a whole host of different examples that we could go through but the Jack Wilshire one's just one that kind of sprung to mind based on what I've read but I just think it's really interesting that they are trying to tap into something which previously kind of hasn't been done in that you can look at you can definitely use these advanced data analytics stuff which goes well beyond this podcast but yeah, yeah. something which is, is seems to be quite novel and something which you can never really quantify, but they've looked to find a way to quantify is that team chemistry, which I think is the age-old question of just how well can we kind of, if not guarantee, then increase our chances of understanding whether the player is going to be a good fit or not. Top stuff. We've obviously spoken about a few examples, but I, I think the list must be endless and there'll be several that we haven't mentioned and haven't even thought of. I mean, the big ones in terms of transfer misfits that come to mind when I think about it, is uh, Lukaku is a big one for me, even though I guess at the time it was a good transfer, but he ended up being a complete misfit in Man United's team, didn't he? And was meant to be kind of the, the big striker for the next few years. And Coutinho is the obvious one for me. The You know, an absolute stellar player at Liverpool. And it just, for whatever reason, didn't work in Barcelona, did it? So, you know, what, what are the ones you think of straight away? Yeah, with the Coutinho one as well, I think that he was kind of put in different positions as well. He was bought almost as the, the next Iniesta, but then he was pushed wide and yeah. he never quite found his position as well. So I think that was, again, comes back to team style. Um, I think if continuing the Barcelona example, I'd, I'd probably say that Antoine Griezmann has, has certainly not set the world alight since he moved to, to Barca, but he was he was one of the certainly one of the best uh, forwards in, in Europe prior to that move. Yeah. So I think that he's kind of fallen off a cliff in terms of his performances. Um and the one which, again, this season, we've spoken a lot about forward players, but I think one for me um, this season who hasn't made an impact and had fewer minutes as well is uh, is Matt Doherty. And I know that he's someone we spoke about um, when we were talking about the uh, Fantasy League um, yes. as a nailed-on um, player in your a team. A nailed-on pick. Yeah, but I think... so Because he, he was playing as a sort of a wing-back. Wolves were playing in a, in a back three and he was playing wing-back, allowed to get forward and not too much defensive responsibility in comparison now to, to his move to Tottenham where they play um, in more of a back four where now Serge Aurier has kind of actually nailed down his spot and Matt yeah, yeah. can't really get into the team as much. So is that a misfit because he's gone from a, a team where he's really built into a back five to to a back four again time will tell whether he can adapt but um that'd be another one that, that springs to mind but there's 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 so many as you say i'm sure there's loads and we'd encourage all the listeners to uh to get in contact with with us on on what they think uh their their misfits are across whether it's just their team or the or things that they've seen across uh across the past few years across across world football i guess i bet there's some absolute gems mark that we haven't thought about that uh that, that are standing out right there that, that need mentioning. So yeah, as he says, get in, get in touch and tell us tell us who and why. And speaking of, of fan interaction, Ryan, you actually set something up quite recently on Twitter to ask the listeners to to get in contact with us and have a bit of a fan mail uh, of any questions that they'd like us to answer on the pod. Yeah, I was really proud of the um, the written down version of fan brackets analytics mail which actually is really naff, but it made me laugh. Um, <laughs> yeah, so we sent out a tweet asking listeners to uh, drop us a comment or a message to, with some of the questions they might like us to look at. So we've got a couple here. 
Are you ready for some of these, Mark? Go for it. Hopefully, I'll be able to answer them. So, the first one is from at Football Hussein, who asks, what do you think will be the next popular advanced metric like XG is now? Do you see a proper informative, analytical, tactical Sky Sports show with in-depth statistics ever happening? That, that's an interesting one. I mean, with the Sky Sports show, I think Monday Night Football is absolutely peerless. Top end. It's top end yeah, in, top in end. terms of that. That especially that tactical breakdown. And I know that from from listening to other podcasts with Jamie Carragher, where he said that it's almost he treats it as though it would be like a football debrief within the club on a Monday, and those are the sorts of things that you'd cover where you'd, yeah, you'd yeah. find things that other people necessary wouldn't necessarily see themselves. Um, so in terms of the, that really in depth tactical breakdown on a Sky Sports show, I wouldn't look any further than than Monday Night Football because I I tune into whatever the game is, I tune into Monday Night Football and watch it before and after just to really get that in depth analysis, which absolutely which I think is yeah, it's incredible stuff. Um, and I, they are starting to use more more statistics now. I don't know about in depth statistics, uh, you know, I take that point. Um, but the example that that I can give is is one uh, recently that that. Jamie Carragher did about about Bobby Firmino uh, at Liverpool, yeah. and he broke it down. He, he gave some you know tactical analysis, and then said about just simply that his his defensive output in winning the ball back in the opposition's final third is down significantly, and that was something which he would offer outside of the the goals and assists. And he just broke that number down. It was a really simple one, but it was just starting to to introduce the concept of using statistics to inform your argument, um, you know, as evidence for what what we can potentially you know see by eye and i think that was really good and it was it was a simple example but we need to be careful not to to use too many advanced metrics yes xg is is widely known in the media now but we got to have almost a duty of care i think to make sure that there's not too much complexity in using statistics for and I, I say this, you know, respectfully to everyone, for your average football fan. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? And this is something which is key to our podcast, isn't it? To be able to to relate everything to everybody and not just a select few who are maybe um, more well-versed in advanced metrics. So I think if we were to use more and more advanced metrics, we'd have to start slow, bring everyone along with us to make sure that together we can all understand this in-depth analysis and not just have it as an exclusive club maybe of you know Jamie Carragher being able to rattle off these terms and losing yeah, half yeah. the audience it's an absolutely fantastic point and as you say it's very key and crucial to everything that we're trying to do really because I think it can be quite intimidating and certainly over complicated for, for the majority of people who would uh, look to watch mainstream football shows and I just think that I think there's a there's a real niche that hopefully we're sort of tapping into that you can make the complex stuff really sort of accessible and enjoyable for for fans such as myself you know you say not you know not to sort of disrespect any fans I I fully count myself as one of those people who is learning and exploring analytics a lot more because it's because we're exploring it in a way that's enjoyable and understandable so I I think it's a really good point that we would like to see more and more of it creep in, but you kind of have to do it gradually and do it in a way that isn't intimidating for football fans to switch off at straight away because people's sort of attention span and patience with something that they don't understand is a lot smaller than you'd think. So I really think there's a skill to kind of uh, making it happen. And, and you know, promising signs, isn't it? It's, it's starting. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that Monday Night Football do that really well in terms of you know conveying that message really well but that's something which we've always spoken about on the podcast and I'm definitely an advocate of 
especially when it is using statistics, is making sure that you continue to speak football language. You know, yes. Because if you do just blind someone with loads of numbers and just throw the numbers at them and let them kind of deal with that and decipher it themselves, then you completely lose the point. But what you need to sort of go into and use the statistics and say what this means on the pitch or what this means for the tactical system or whatever it is, is, you know, insert then football example. You don't just want to throw statistics at people. And this is what I mean for, for all people who are interested in analytics, that they do have a duty of care. And I include myself in that now in terms of my new role, that we have a duty of care to make sure that that every reader, no matter what their experience, understands that analytical and, and tactical breakdown. So I think it's a really good question. Um, and I think it's a, a really important one as well for, for the years ahead, because it's only going to get more and more popular in terms of this use of statistics. 100%, we hope so. Um, let's do another one. So we've got one from at Mahida, who says, is there a way to effectively translate a player's output from a lesser quality league to the top European ones? We are glad you asked, yeah. Mahida, because uh, my good friend Mark Carey might have an answer for that. Well, I think, Ryan, you can you can also answer that one, hopefully. I'm, I'm setting you up for this. After participating in episode 20 of the Football Fanalytics podcast, uh, where we explored something very similar, we would advise uh, we would advise this, this to go and have a look at Mark's work that he did uh, for the Championship Club earlier on uh, this year when we released. Um, yeah, we kind of answered that question in a way. And, you know, the good thing about what we're trying to do sometimes is, is not be time dependent on those episodes. So um, we actually explore that very question, don't we, Mark? Yeah, spot on. You said that perfectly there, Ryan. But to just give a, a quick flavour, um, the work that I was doing with, with that club was to, to do a bit of research to, to help them with their, their recruitment strategy. And it's an age-old question that is trying to pick out a gem from, from the lesser leagues. But we looked to, to find a way to kind of quantify that um, and to see whether there's a way to translate a player's performance um, from League X to League Y and then, you know, attenuate and adjust their metrics to see just how well they'll fit. And it also links with the everything we've spoken about before with that AI abacus and, and stuff like that. But it's the age-old question and, and some of the work that I did look to try and answer that question. Um, but episode 20 has more if you would like to listen to it. Absolutely. And, you know, we've got a good few other questions that we'd like to explore. But because we've internationally spoke for England today, I think we'll leave those for uh, for next week and and episodes uh, to come. You know, this is this is fun. Let's let's encourage you all to get in touch with us, please. We send us your questions. We, we enjoy going through them and uh, we'll hopefully, even if we haven't covered one that you've sent us already, we will we'll look to add them to the bank and we will make our way through them in the coming weeks. So please do get in touch with us. Absolutely. Yeah, I do enjoy answering the questions and, and going through them. We will make sure that we go through them. But um, for now, across the whole episode, Ryan, it's been like recording with the Riddler. So I'm just going to have to <laughs> just wait until next week. We'll get through them at some point. But right now I'm uh, I'm questioned out. So let's wrap it up there, Ryan. Um, and thank everybody for listening. As always, um, you know where to find us. We are at Fanalytics Pod. Uh, you can find us on Twitter or Instagram, or you can get in contact with us over email. We've had some lovely emails recently from people, so thank you for that. Um, you can find us at fanalytics.pod at gmail.com. Thank you, as ever, for everybody for listening. We will see you next time. Sports Social Podcast Network. 
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.